Hey, welcome to the Street Shots Photography Podcast with the Switch to Manual guys. I'm Antonio, and this is episode 47, uh, my trip to the Photo Expo. But before I get into that, I just got a little bit of housekeeping to do uh, with you all. I realize that you probably all have been waiting for an episode. Uh, we try to come up with these um, once every two weeks, maybe twice a month if possible. And, um, I know my last one was a little while ago and just want to apologize because I've been having a lot of life stuff coming up. And so is Tom. Tom's actually in the middle of getting uh, hitched and, uh, working on a lot of stuff in Arizona. And I actually have been letting him, uh, you know, letting him go for a little while, uh, without pressuring him to be on the podcast. I figured you guys would be okay with me and, uh, Tom would, you know, be able to uh, come back on when he is able to, uh, right? He's just got a lot of stuff going on. But also, you know what? I had a lot of stuff going on too. And it was really, really hard to find myself with any time to sit down and do the recording. And I'm really bummed out about that. And, you know, you guys are patient with me, I hope, and are still tuning in. But you can guarantee that uh, I'm going to come out with an episode at least once a month. I'm really going to try for doing uh twice a month and as we get into the you know the the winter months and and things start to slow down hopefully on the outside uh, i can devote myself a lot more to putting out some really good episodes and making sure i get you know the interviews i wanted to get i've got a lot of people lined up i just haven't really called them yet and you know making sure that tom is on the show as well because you know what i don't want to do the show by myself all the time i really enjoy having tom with me and i know you guys do too Uh, i think we really have a good synergy but you know, I just want to say that it's been it's been kind of a tough fall for me. So, um, you know, autumn usually is a great time. And I have been going out and photographing a lot. But, you know, everything else in the background that takes over, um, you know, what we call life uh, creeps in. And it's just really, really hard for me to sit down. I mean, basically, I've been working kind of seven days a week at my other jobs just to try to make ends meet. So, uh, you know, I finally have some time tonight to, you know, put together this, this episode and it's our 47th episode. I know, I know for certain we've got, I'm going to, we're going to get the 50th in before the end of the year, I'm sure. And I know Tom will be uh, in on that one. Uh, but for now you got me and, you know, I hope you guys are patient with me. So, uh, it is the fall and, uh, another photo expo has come and gone at the Javits Center in New York. That's the yearly expo i think it's probably the largest expo photo expo in the united states uh, i don't know if there's another big one and it, it comes right on the heels of photo kina at in germany and this is kind of a different show there's not a lot of products introduced uh, by the main manufacturers but it's really uh, a great show to uh, there's a lot of booths on the floor and there's a lot of seminars that you can take and it's kind of i use it kind of as a recharging uh, event so that I can go and really get back into photography, or at least get my mindset in photography again. And, uh, it always does that for me. Even if I don't go to the seminars, I like to walk the floor and I, I bump, bump into a bunch of people. Uh, and I have a really good time there. So this, this year I got to spend two days at it. It's a three day event and I only got to spend two days cause I have to work. Uh, but I was able to take off for a couple days and, and walk around. So, um, and I did this last year. I, I walked around and, and, you know, we were doing the podcast still last year and I decided to, well, you know what, it'd be a great opportunity to go and interview some vendors. And last year I was really nervous about this because I'm really new to this podcasting thing. So walking around to people, you know, with a microphone and saying I'm part of the Switch to Manual podcast and we give them an interview, it was a little nerve wracking for me. Um, and but, you know, years come and gone and I've done a lot more interviews and I'm getting a lot more comfortable with the microphone in front of my face. And I also now have a really pretty kick-ass microphone. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, last year I walked around the floor and I used actually a lavalier mic. So for those who don't know, that's a really small microphone that you usually attach to your collar. And uh, you'll see that in interviews with people. And I didn't have a really good... Uh, microphone for doing interviews in a loud environment. So I used the lav mic, which it wasn't so bad, but between then and now I actually got myself a pretty good interview mic that's uh, used in newscasting. And I'm actually using that right now in my studio. It, it tends to block out a lot of the street sounds outside, but I used that uh, this year, uh, you know, for those of you who are into gadgets and, you know, please uh, indulge me here for a second. 
Um, but because it actually helped me go out and make, uh, I think, a, uh, a few pretty good interviews. Um, I ended up buying a flag mic that I stuck on there. So uh, a mic flag, excuse me, that you put on the microphone and I put my logo on it. So I put the switch to manual logo on it and I walked around with this recorder around my neck and a camera. And I noticed that because I had this microphone that looked more professional and it had this uh, flag on it that had our logo on it, uh, people seemed to be more willing to talk to me or, or didn't sort of look at me cross-eyed when I wanted to ask them for an interview about their products. And I was much more comfortable in front of the microphone and just going up to people who I didn't know and just talking to them and find out what their product was. And of course, they want to share what their product is about. So it was kind of a, it was a good combination. And I especially felt really good doing it this year. The difference between this year and last year, generally what happens at the show is that you have a lot of the big vendors, you know, Nikon, Canon, Fuji, uh, you know, um, the Tamron, you know, all the big companies that you can imagine. And then there's a lot of mid-sized companies, in, but there's also often a lot of small uh, companies that have really teeny tiny booths and they might have introduced a very interesting product. And last year I had decided, you know, if I'm going to go to this, I really don't want to talk to the big booths because, I, you know, I don't really care about that. And you can find out that information anywhere. I figured I'd go to some of the smaller booths with uh, products that maybe you guys have never really heard of before and might be interesting. And so I went to this expo this year with those intentions. And when I got there, um, it was really odd that there was not a lot of the small vendors. In fact, one of the sections, and you'll see in the show notes, I, I took some pictures of the show floor. You'll see that there's one area that was totally void of booths. And that was the area that there used to be all these little small vendors. And I really had the intention of going up and talking to them because they always have great stuff. And I got there and just not that many of them there. They had moved them or they had sold the booths or I don't know what happened this year that was different. And I was really kind of disappointed. So I, you know, I had my energies and I walked around and I couldn't find a lot of people to talk to. Uh, but I did manage to find four vendors who would talk to me and actually a couple of friends I bumped into actually one friend I bumped into and one who walked the show floor with me. And I, I decided that I wanted to make two episodes back to back on the photo expo and each one will have uh, two vendor interviews and one interview with, or, you know, sort of a chat with a friend of mine. Um, and I'm going to release them back to back. So this is episode 47, you know, uh, volume one, and then we'll actually, we'll do 47 and then the next episode will be 48. Uh, but they'll both be devoted to the photo expo and I'm going to re release them back to back or at least as close as possible. You know, it's gonna take me a little while to edit them. Uh, but this first one is going to come out and then the next one will come out as soon as possible. So you don't have to wait a week or two weeks. And it's basically, uh, me covering the expo and these four vendors, and it's, you know, a little gear oriented, except for our discussions with my, my friends. They might be a little bit more, less about the gear, more about experience. So in this first episode, uh, or first volume of the Photo Expo, episode 47, I, I talked to two vendors. The first vendor this year was uh, the company called Lensbaby. And some of you may have heard about them. They sell these kind of cool lenses that you attach to your cameras. They have different mounts and they produce optical effects on the picture that you take. So I got a chance to speak to actually the president and general manager, a guy named Ken Mitchell, uh, about a couple of new products they're coming out with. One that was really interesting that I think I'm going to probably purchase. And also we talked a little bit about shooting in manual. So it worked out. I told him I was part of shoot to, uh, switch to manual and he really uh, went with that. So we talked a little bit about his products and what it meant to shoot in manual. The second vendor I talked to, or at least the second vendor that I'll have on this episode, uh, I spoke to a guy named John out of a place called Go Wing USA. And they have this really neat product called the Lens Flipper. And I won't spoil it. I'll let you uh, listen to that segment. It's a short segment. And uh, it was a really cool little device. And, you know, you might find it interesting. Again, I was trying to find these little devices that you may not have heard of and, and you might have an interest in. And finally, I spoke to a buddy of mine who I bumped into on the second day that I was there. These are not necessarily in order, <laughs> you know, of the time. Um, a friend of mine named Steve Stanger, who's a, a great guy from New Jersey and a really, really good photographer. And we just sat down in the, in the hall and we talked about his experiences and what his goals were about uh, going to the photo expo. 
uh, a figure that came from a point of view of just some person who who likes to go to the show and actually spend some time in New York. I think he was coming here also for a little bit of vacation. But, you know, he's right over the river in New Jersey, and uh, he we've been on photo walks together. And actually, Steve is one of the guys who uh, I, I had my first experience in podcasting with. I think I've been on one of his shows, and we actually uh, were on a roundtable together, and uh, he's been on some of my photo walks. So he's a really good guy, and it was really fun to talk to him at the show. And so I hope you uh, stick around and, and listen to that little uh, interview with him. So let's go right into the Photo Expo. I'm at the uh, Lens Baby booth at Photo Expo 2016. I'm speaking to Ken Mitchell, and um, you guys got a couple of cool products, but we were just talking offline about, you know, I'm part of Switch to Manual, and can you just tell me about what people are experiencing when they're coming and buying Lens Baby items? Because obviously you're a very manual-oriented product. Yeah, I mean, we don't have any products that actually have an autofocus, and so one of the things that people have to first embrace is that what 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 is this this manual mode in my camera? Because uh, there's been a lot of studies done that a lot of people who are shooting with DSLRs have only used it in the auto mode. And so um, we walk in and they we tell them that all of our lenses are manual, manual focus, manual aperture adjustment, and they kind of like freak out. And sometimes you see like deers in the headlights. And uh, to me, that's a bit of a shock, you know, that uh, people would have. You know, it seems if you want to get some level of creativity and control over your image, you'd want to be able to shoot manual so you can adjust those things. But uh, for a lot of people today, it's not their experience. Do you get a lot of pushback from people about that? I mean, do you get people wanting to say, why don't you have an automatic setting on it? Oh yeah, sure. You know, we, we would definitely people would, would be seems like it would be easier for them if if that were the case. But um, we turn that more into a positive. When you think about manual adjustments in your camera, it, it turns your camera into this uh, a tool to a brush. Yeah, it's this idea that now this is something that you're interacting with, that you're manipulating to create the image that you want, not just pointing, shooting, and taking the image. And so it's more of the dance, and we tend to think about shooting with Lens Baby as that interaction between you, your, the, the camera, your lens, and the subject matter. Uh, one of the things I was talking to uh, this guy about was uh, I've, I've sort of walked by your booth a lot, and I, I like the item. But I was always stuck in this idea of like not creating a final picture on my camera, which which your the product does. You're you're pretty much stuck with what you've got in the background and the and the focus. And actually, since I switched to my Fuji camera, uh, the Fuji X system, I've been in love with the JPEGs that have been coming out of the camera. And I've also been trying to cut down my workflow, you know, so I don't want to sit there and um, manipulate the picture too much. And your your product. Is, is actually kind of delivering you know, pretty much of a final image. Well, we try to focus on that. I mean, one of our conversations with people when they say, well, look, at I see that effect. I think I could do that in Photoshop. The first comment is, well, maybe you can get close, but not necessarily. The second comment is, what would you rather be doing, spending your time out taking pictures or sitting in, a com in front of a computer adjusting those pictures? And so I think part of that lens baby experience is being able to see it in the moment, capturing that as you see it, and then being able to walk away from that. Now, I'm not saying that you know there are adjustments that can be done for contrast, for you know sharpness. There's some things that can be done if you want to, but you don't have to be thinking about what kind of effect you're going to be applying onto that post in order to get make that an interesting photo. I think Lens Baby's photos have this level of emotion um, and, and dynamism that comes with that that you're able to get right in camera, and it doesn't require post. That's what I got from. Uh you know, it's not a it's not a Fuji podcast, but I I fell in love with their cameras and I got the sense of emotion. And yesterday I came by and I tried uh, this Twist 60 lens on my uh, Fuji XT10, yeah. and I got that sense of emotion coming back when I was looking through the viewfinder. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about this? Well, the Twist 60 is an interesting lens. Um, it, you know, it, it really was the the lens design, the optic design goes all the way back to uh, 1840s, where the the they were shooting daguerreotypes back at the time, right? And it, you'd have to sit there for a minute, minute and a half, as you would get your picture taken, and you were still and stiff. And so they designed this lens to speed that process up by brightening that center area so it would expose faster. They weren't so much thinking about what was going to be happening outside of that that focus area because they was primarily 
primarily for portraits. So there was this strange effect that started to happen outside of that. So I think that dynamism that you were talking about is you get a really bright center area and then this really dynamic you know, fall off. Um, if you have a pattern background, it gives a swirly effect. If you have a more you know, traditional background that's not swirly, you just get this vignetting. And the, to me, that gives me a lot of emotion. And when you talk about Fuji, I think there is a lot of um, synergy between Fuji and their their soul of film that they're trying to create through their digital images and the soul that is comes from a lens baby lens and we have a lot of really fanatical Fuji users using lens baby yeah I'm one of them I think I'm gonna be one of them after I after I played with this yesterday yeah yeah I think so so I think it's part of that you know that part of that experience and again there's there is no right here you know what, what lens baby is doing is trying to offer people an alternative you know to a world that has become over-processed, over-digitized, and that perfection seems to become the goal of a photograph. Problem with perfection is that it can also come across as a little bit sterile. Problem with perfection is that that image that you shot looks like the same image that somebody else shot. Um, and so at some point, you know, where is your visual voice? And I think that LensVivi kind of helps you find your own visual voice of how you saw that and be able to create that you know, right in the moment. So uh, the Twist 60 is a new product for you guys? Twist 60 we introduced about uh, seven or eight months ago, actually. Um, and um, it's, it's very well received. It's a $280 retail price point, super easy to use. I think one of the one of the criticisms, if you will, about LensBaby is that, hey, you know, there's a steep learning curve. And we admit that, you know, to shoot manual, you got to learn that. And then to know how to manipulate some of our products, with, especially our, our um, uh, composer series, where you have to turn it and adjust the, the aperture to change your sweet spot, et cetera. There's a learning curve with that. Um, the twist, you, you know, pretty much shoot it at 2.5, which is, you know, wide open, and uh, find your subject matter, and away you go, and you have an interesting image, so. Uh. So the Twist 60 is a fixed aperture lens? No, it's, we, it's, it's from 2.5 all the way to 22, but most of the time, people are shooting it at 2.5 to get the maximum effect. Oh, I'm actually realizing the lens that you're holding is the fixed aperture one. What is this one? Yeah, the lens that I'm holding, which you can't see out there, <laughs> but uh, the lens I'm holding is the Trio 28, which is our newest uh, lens that we're introducing here at this show. We'll be shipping um, at the end of this month, October, first part of November. And uh, Actually, let me describe it for everybody. It's, it is a like giant, flat lens with uh, body, I wish like pancake style, and in the front there is three smaller lenses in, I guess, a rotational barrel, and each lens has a different effect on it, and you rotate that to get the effect that you want to present in your shot. That's exactly right. So this was designed only for mirrorless cameras, so for those Fuji shooters, but also for for Sony and Micro Four Thirds. Um, <clears throat> The, the, the benefit of the mirrorless cameras is their compact size. The challenge that lens manufacturers have is that in order to address the physics that's happening with this, you end up making your lenses longer. So some of our longer lenses are actually for the smaller compact cameras. So there's a little bit of a disconnect there, right, where it's, where it's maybe not as easy to carry some of those lens baby lenses or any other lenses around, you know, for that matter. So we wanted to start from the beginning. We saw the growth that's happening in mirrorless cameras, and we, we just designed a lens from the ground up to be able to address the, uh, a very compact form factor, which we describe as a, as a pancake lens. You describe um, as a very small lens. It's a fixed aperture at 3.5. That's what you were referring to before, um, and it has, and it, and all of the lenses are 28 millimeter, so it's 28 millimeter, 3.5. Is that a 28 millimeter equivalent on a four on a four third sensor? 28 millimeter on a full frame. On a full frame, okay. So you'd have to do the math for your camera to see what the relative ratio is. Right, that's an. Yeah, I have a uh, my sensor is a. APS-C, so it's 1.5 times that. That's right, so it's like 48-ish or something like that. So we have three different effects. We talked about, we were talking about the twist effect, and so we did put that into this lens. Um, we also have the velvet effect, which was a, a lens that we had developed about a year and a half ago, which gives you kind of a soft glow underneath all your images. Um, it gives you kind of that warmth, ethereal kind of look. And then the last one is a sweet spot. So it gives you a center area focus and everything else outside of that area focus falls off. The sweet spot's relatively large in this at 3.5, so um, pretty easy to find, but and it's also or oriented just in the center. 
Um, and this retails for $280 as well. So you're really getting, you know, one, a compact form factor, and you're getting three different effects um, that, as I'm as I'm talking, I'm switching between <laughs> between them. With a click, you can sense, you know, when you've switched over. But what's also interesting about this lens, which um, was a serendipitous part of the design, is that when you're in between the two lenses, you can actually get a double exposure. So you, really? Yeah, it's really pretty cool. I think we're gonna we're excited to see the kinds of things that people uh, create out of that. A double exposure in a single frame. Yeah, where you're like, as you're getting the same, yeah, as you're, as you're transitioning between the two, you'll get whatever in the subject matter repeats itself left and right. Oh, wow, I'm going to have to try that. I, I put this on my camera yesterday, and I took a few sample shots against this uh, LED backdrop, and it was really exciting to s just see the effect happening live like not having to deal with anything in post-production. Yeah, exactly. And um, and what's cool with, with that, again, you can, in this case, you can be standing there, you can set your manual focus, again, know that you're in focus, and then just rotate through and find the effect that you think is the most appropriate. And again, that's all part of us helping people find their visual voice. Which uh, And have you guys had um, Fuji mounts for a while now, or is it uh, just recent? Yeah, we've been doing Fuji mounts uh, for almost, I guess, about three years now. Um, yeah, we and again we make for almost all mouse. That's one of you know eight mouse I think it is. We even introduced PL mouse this this last year. Really, really. Yeah. yeah so um, so yeah, we want to make sure that anyone that wants to use our lenses can do so. Well, I, I think like I've walked by your booth every year and it's always been interested. But I think this lens on my Fuji would be something that would actually bring me into the lens baby system. I like I was saying before, I was always a little hesitant about finaling finaling out my images, but now that I've, uh, I've sort of embraced JPEGs and sort of trying to move away from post-production, um, I can really now think I can enjoy uh, your product, especially this, I think this lens, this, this um, what's this one called again? Trio 20. The Trio 20, I think I, that will be the first intro into your system. Well, we sure hope so. We hope that we, uh, we transfer you from being an interested walk-by to an <laughs> actual user of our product. And again, I love what you're doing uh, with, uh, you know, the, the the education for people on manual, again, is an obstacle I think that people need to overcome to really maximize what they can do with their cameras. It's not as scary as what people think. I haven't shot I haven't shot an autofocus lens really? in years. Yeah, yeah. I, I took one on my uh, when I was on vacation and it felt weird. Really, really, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It felt weird because you just get used to like, oh, I just focus, and then it was like, oh, I don't have to. <laughs> yeah. so. It is it is a barrier for some people to to learn manual, but we always thought that. It's helpful to learn it, and then you can always go back into automatic if you want, because it's good for you to understand what the camera is doing. Yeah. Um, and but shooting in manual, I think, is always a good um, essence for someone who's learning photography. Yeah, I'm I'm not a you know professional photographer, never have been. For me, it was always my hobby. I was a you know I was a businessman doing things, but but photography was my my artistic release and. Uh, um, yeah, so when I started shooting manual, I actually became a better photographer. I, I feel like, um, and I can see the progress that that I've made as I started to understand more what was happening with my camera. I'm still not, you know, proficient at some of the more technical aspects of it, but when it comes to the basics of like knowing it, what the impact of aperture is actually having on my image, or what's, you know, or as I said when we started, that idea of the of the the interaction that I'm having with the tool that I'm shooting with changes the, the, the result that I'm getting from it. And um, that's what I like about shooting manual. And it also uh, slows you down a little bit. Everybody's talking about digital speeding up and doing all this kind of stuff. And That's a great comment. You know, I'm a big fan of journaling, you know, too. Like, and, uh, and it's the same process when you're writing, you know, with a pen and a paper in your hand, it kind of like slows you down, it slows your thoughts down, it makes you much more uh, thoughtful about what it is that you're doing uh, versus just wrapping something out, you know, on a, on a, on a computer. Um, I think this is very much that same thing. It slows you down and makes you feel that moment, it makes it more, more, more meaningful. And I can see that Lens Baby sort of fits into that whole system of slowing down. I mean, you're, you're manually focusing, you're, you're dealing with the aperture, you're looking at the effect, so you're you got to sort of take your time a little bit. Yeah, I think so, and um, it makes it more enriching experience. Yeah. I like that you said visual voice. That was That's something that we had in an earlier podcast. We had um, uh, photojournalist Ron Haviv. I don't know if you've ever heard of him before, but he's pretty popular. And he talked about visual voice, and 
So it's nice that you sort of keyed into that for us. Yeah, well, I, it's something that um, you know I, I I am a big fan of of people finding their 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 creativity and finding their creative voice and um, whatever tools that they use. In the case of photography, it really is your visual voice. It's finding the way that you see the world and being able to then convey that to other people, um, the way that you saw it, the way that you experienced it, and. Uh, and I think that's what makes us artists. And I think at the end of the day, I mean, Picasso said it himself. He said, every photographer at their heart is an artist. Well, Ken, I really, really appreciate you spending some time with us uh, describing products and just talking to us about um, manual photography. I was like, wasn't expecting that. You got, you got the whole podcast right here. That's <laughs> yeah, great. It was great. Thanks for your interest and uh, keep shooting manual, people. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Ken. All right. I'm at the Lens Flipper booth with John. I, I forget so fast. <laughs> it's okay. And uh, this looks like a, a very interesting product that will allow you to... Uh, well, you know what? I'll just let John explain it. <laughs> so the Lens Flipper uh, allows you to change your lenses quickly, safely, um, and uh, it, it also protects your lenses the same way that a rear lens cap would do. Um, but it also keeps it handy so you're not digging around in a bag. You're not sticking the lenses between your legs or on your arms so switch your caps around. It just keeps it right at your side wherever you're going to need it most. So the idea of this is that you're keeping your lens external to your bag. And uh, when you're, when you're going to change your lens, you don't want to go through those awkward motions. So you want to have something, you want to be able to connect it to your body somehow. That's right. And we also... Um, we aim for compatibility. We like to be compatible with different strap systems. Um, we use uh, oftentimes the, the dual harness systems where you have your camera on one side and then where you would normally have your second camera, you can just replace it with a flipper because there are several times where you don't need two cameras but you do need those two lenses immediately accessible. Um, we also have a belt system that allows you to use it either with your own belt or systems like the spider holster and the think tank. Um, or we provide a strap that comes with it on its own um, that you can wear cross-body and it doesn't affect the, the use of your you know, proprietary camera strap or whatever strap you're, you know, you're already using. So each of these is uh, for a different mount lens. For, so you have Nikon, Canon, you just said you have Fuji now? Mm -hmm. We do have uh, Nikon, Canon, Fuji as he said, and then we have uh, Micro Four Thirds, so like Olympus and Panasonic, and then uh, the Sony E and the Sony A mounts. So we can you can you just describe what you're doing with the lens um, while you're doing it? Sure. But can you do it? <laughs> so because we don't have the, we're not doing video here. Um, typically, this is a very easy setup to explain when you see how it's done. But um, through words, um, you detach the the lens from your camera while it's attached, you know, via strap. Um, your lens comes over to the lens flipper and attaches to one of the two sides. Um, you remove your other lens from the lens flipper. Uh, and then attach that to your, your body. So you're never setting anything down, you're never setting anything between your legs or on your arms or giving your camera to an assistant or anything like that. Um, it's, a, it's a very smooth motion. It's almost as if you have another camera on your other side and you're swapping lenses from one camera to another, except this other camera is able to hold two lenses temporarily. Yeah, I guess that's a good way to put it. Your, your second lens is only on there for an instant while you're attaching it and then detaching the second lens. And what's really cool is that this uh, lens slipper has sort of a built-in cap so you're never really leaving your lens exposed to the environment. Nope. Um, it is protected the same way a rear body cap is and we usually recommend to our users just to replace one of your rear body caps in your camera bag with the flipper so you always have it and it's not something that ends up sitting in a drawer. Um, but we also provide an additional um, cap that, that protects the other side of the flipper while it's not in use, especially if you're shooting in dirty, uh, dirty, dusty, sandy, wet environments and you don't want something filling up into your flipper and then dumping into your lens when you switch. Right. And you have this other device which looks like it hooks into your belt or your pocket. Can you describe that? Sure. So we have an additional belt attachment that the flipper, when you remove it from the strap, simply clips in to the attachment um, and you can use it on either your, your own belt or like a system like the Spider or the Think Tank. Um, I also can just stuff it down into my pocket and it, and it sits the same way. It's got a, got a nice rigid counterweight in there that it's not going to slide out. Um, and the plate that's holding that in there can be removed and attached to a backpack or um, another type of padded strap. 
just as another carrying option. This looks like a great, um, these look like great devices for like event photographers too, so that you're not necessarily carrying around a huge bag with you, you've got your lenses sort of attached to you, and you can move very quickly from one lens to another. Our two biggest markets are definitely event, like weddings, um, where you don't always need a second body, but you need quick access to a second lens, whether it's a 70 to 200 and a 24-70, or uh, me personally, I shoot all primes, so I'm switching between my 35, my 85, or my 50 uh, pretty frequently. Um, but our other big market is travel and outdoor photographers that have the longer lenses, need something comfortable, um, need something that's safe, need something that's backpack compatible. Um, so those are the two types of, uh, of customers that we see the, the most. So what's the maximum weight that you could put on one of these, the, like the one that you have on the strap across your chest, what's the maximum weight would you put on? So the flipper is rated for 270 pounds. Um, as a demo at our booth, we have a 400 millimeter 2.8 lens attached to it that we will routinely swing around for our, for our visitors. Um, it gets, it gets some uh, shock factor, but it just goes to show that we're confident in the product and, and the weight that it'll hold. We have a lot of people ask us, oh, will it hold a 70 to 200 or a 100 to 400? And we show them that 400 to 8, and uh, it usually calms any fears. Um, the strap, however, you know, might not be extremely comfortable with, uh, with a lens that large, but you can use your own strap or you can, it's pretty modifiable yourself. And what are the price points on these? So for the show, uh, we have the flipper itself with the strap uh, for $70. Uh, online, it's 75 plus shipping, handling tax. Um, and then the additional belt attachment is uh, $30. So if you buy the whole thing as a kit, it's $100 um, online. The, the belt clip slash backpack attachment is 35. So again, you're saving about five bucks off retail plus shipping, handling, and tax. So yeah, that's really cool. Um, well, John, thanks for sharing your product with us and uh, good luck and uh, all the success to you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on your show. Thanks a lot. Great. I'm on the uh, show floor, and I bumped into my friend Steve Stanger. Perfect. P perfect. I said that right. <laughs> and um, I know Steve. We're trying to figure out how we know each other. I can't remember where we first met, but it was definitely through some podcasting. Yeah, definitely through the whole Mac realm of podcasting. I think we were even on, again, we were trying to figure this out. I think we were even on podcast, photography podcast together before we met in person, and then you hosted a photo walk, what, five years ago? Four years ago? Five years ago? And I think that's the first time we met face-to-face. -face. Actually, there were a lot of people from that podcasting realm that actually came to that, that Brooklyn photo walk, the, the uh, Botanical Garden. Right. It was uh, uh, John Braun yep. and... Um, Ken Lee, Kenny Lee. Oh, Kenny, Kenny Lee. Lee was on that one. Um, you know, other people... Oh, that uh, uh, Louis uh, Tripp. That's right. Trapini? Yeah. Am I getting his name right? I think uh, that's how I say it, too. But, yeah, he's another one that, that did uh, hosted, and I don't know if he still hosts. He might. Um, you know, a number of uh, sci-fi, Doctor Who-based um, podcasts. But, yeah, it was really kind of cool meeting these people in real life. Right. And I think the, the first podcast we were on together with uh, was with Victor Cahiao's um, typical Shutterbug podcast. Typical Shutterbug. And uh, again, what was great about that show is he would either do himself and a guest, and then we were on, a num I believe, a number of his roundtable shows, which were awesome because what I always liked about the roundtable type shows, there was the interest in photography, but everybody kind of approached it from different angles. There were people that did it professionally or semi-professionally to hobbyists to people that just were interested in shooting differently and it all kind of came together, and you had all those different perspectives. And it was just great. It was great. And what, was, what was your show? You had a specific show. Uh, I did the Mac Attack podcast for like six years, and I was kind of in there early when podcasting started, and iTunes picked up on Apple, and iTunes picked up on it. So it was, not to pat myself on the back, but it was one of the featured shows regularly, so that helped. And then I had a very short-lived um, iPhone photography podcast called I See, I Shoot iPhone, based on... And I'm so bad, I'll have to look up the quote. But there's a famous photographer's quote that is, I, I walk, I see, I stop, I photograph. I think I got it wrong, but 
and not realizing at the time, I'm like, ooh, that kind of, that's really kind of cool. I might bring that back after getting the new iPhone and seeing the amazing video and photography or, or uh, um, photo side of it. It always was good, but the, the 7 Plus between with the two lenses, it's just unbelievable. I'm actually using it here to shoot a lot more video and photo photos than my camera, than my, my you know, DSLR. What is bringing you to the show? You first you talked about drones. There's not a lot of drones right. here. It, well, it's funny because uh, like two years, it must have been two years ago, I would say there was a back corner of, of the Javits Center where the show's happening that was all drones. That was before I was into drones. And I'm like, they don't belong at a photo show. Blah, blah, blah. Now that I'm into drones and I have a drone, started with an inexpensive one and now actually have one of the DJI Phantom 3s, now I want to see more of it, and right now there really is just one vendor kind of displaying their high-end stuff. You were telling me that B&H was showing the new DJI, which I really wanted to see because I did have some questions about it, but um, B&H, they're not here today. Um, but really, it's, it's funny. I didn't come this year looking for something specific. I've come across some neat little kind of gadgets and stuff like that. Definitely a smaller group of like the independent manufacturers or the independent um, like software developers even. But um, the ones that I've seen so far, I think they've had some pretty good ideas. Uh, but again, not I'm, I'm not looking, we, I was kind of kidding around before. I said, I usually end up coming to the show walking away with a new camera bag. I don't need it. I mean, literally don't need any more bags. I'm one of these people that I have that addiction to, oh, I like that bag, I like that. I don't need any more camera bags. I don't need lenses. I'm kind of cool with my lenses. I'm kind of cool with the camera that I have for now. It's interesting that you're saying you don't need any of this stuff. I and, I, and I realize, like, I don't need bags either. Need I don't need I anything. But is there, any, like, is there anything that you want? That's, there's a difference. There's, yes. I, you, you got oh, your camera. You got your lens. You can get by. You can shoot jobs. Right. But is there, is there something desirable here and besides the drones? I would think... I, if, if there's, again, want and need, one of the ways that's really kind of great with photography, and especially if you shoot Nikon or Canon, I'm a Nikon shooter, is you don't have to go with Nikon lenses for everything. So half of my lenses are Nikon lenses and they're 100% compatible. I have a, a 85 millimeter Rokonon, I think is how you say that. Actually, they're here. I haven't seen, I haven't gone to their booth yet. Lens, it's amazing. What would I, I would probably, and there's nothing wrong with the quality of the images, it's all manual focus. So... Well, we're switched to manual, by the way. <laughs> switched to manual, which is great, but I don't mind shooting a manual. I like autofocus, I do like autofocus. Um, one thing I would say the positive with not having autofocus, it does slow you down. And I think maybe that's why I really do like that lens. So going back to your original question, what would I probably upgrade? I'd probably upgrade to the Nikon that's 100% you know, auto, so I can worry about my other settings when I'm manual. Again, being 100% manual is great, but there are times, there's situations when you're shooting fast, you know, something that's a, a fast image or you're kind of shooting from the hip, where in my, to, for me, for the, my style of shooting, manual doesn't always necessarily work. Um, you know, I like as much control as I can, but you know what? Sometimes autofocus is a good thing. So in that case, again, it's not a bad lens. I love the image quality. It, it was also half the price of the Nikon too. So that's one of the reasons why I went with it. It didn't have that, what are they called? The wave motion focus motor and whatever Nikon's brand uh, name for it is. That would be something I would upgrade at some point. But again, I really don't shoot. It's, it's at the point where it's a hobby that kind of pays for itself. So I don't, if I shot professionally, if I had a studio set up, if I had that kind of thing, yeah, you know what, I could see, I could see justifying buying that, but right now, for what I do and what photography means to me, it, it's, that kind of lens is, is perfect. Um, I'm trying to think, I mean, like, even like light modifiers and flashes. Well, I'll go back to lenses for okay, a second. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, first of all, I know your work and you shoot a lot on the Jersey Shore, yeah. and I really love the stuff that you do on the, the seaside, mm -hmm. especially, and you've done some stuff with old cars yeah. as well, and you, you really hit them out of the ballpark when I when you post them online. I really love your work. And, you know, the, for me, the idea of changing lenses, it's like, well, why would you do that? Why, I know you, you're, like, the stuff that you're shooting, at least the stuff that you're posting, I don't see right. it necessarily requires that you need an autofocus lens. No, you're right. It doesn't, especially if you're at a car show and it's not 
moving, right. the cars aren't yeah. moving. No, and, you, and you're absolutely right. But for example, I did a photo walk last night with the, um, the photo focus guys. And it, it, again, really, they were very cool, small group of people. You, a lot of times, as a little side note here, a lot of times the photo walks that are organized through this event end up being like 50 people and all you're doing is moving it's like right. a parade moving through new york this was nice that it was smaller and that kind of thing but anyway you're absolutely right and the whole thing is with changing lenses and what i never thought about shooting a car show with an 85 millimeter lens that idea came from when you shoot a car show it should be about the cars you don't want some guy standing in the background eating a hot dog scratching his stomach and that's what happens at these shows you know so with the 85 millimeter lens open totally wide shooting at like either 1.4 or 1.8 it totally knocked it was almost like shooting portraits of the cards and i never kind of approached it that way and it's so funny i really limited myself at that recent show to just that lens and then a uh, another rokonan lens that i have is a fisheye and that one's totally manual didn't necessarily work for that show there were a couple of images that i liked out of that but it was really more so that 85 millimeter that just kind of, it's funny, that's the other lens I brought with me because I'm thinking um, having a couple of days in New York still after the show's over, I want to throw that on there and walk around New York and not necessarily, I do, you know, take a lens that's usually used for portraits and apply it to, um, again, maybe getting in really super tight for architectural details and stuff like that. Just, and, and again, being able to do stuff like that, again, having it wide open where you're just kind of blowing out the background when you're just, you know, where you're able to really kind of just focus on the subject, where you want people to look. So you came all this way. You're spending your vacation yes. at the show a little a bit, a couple of days. And we, we both noticed that the show is smaller. It's just yeah. less of the smaller vendors. Um, but what did what did you come here to see? You said the stuff that you're not going to get, you're not right. interested well, what in. What were, you, what were you kind of hoping to What were you kind of hoping to see right. as well? The, the thing I've always liked about the show is pretty much just the all the on floor um, sessions, all the all the um, the speakers and stuff like that, where you get to actually see a lot of the the pro photographers that we've seen them either their their training classes uh, through the different services. Uh, maybe I, you've, you've seen them speak. I mean, luckily we both live. You, I mean, you live in New York. I, I'm in New Jersey. So I've, I, you know, we'll make a trip into B and H if there's somebody I want to see speak or Adorama. Being able to sit here like face to face. I mean, I was telling you at one of the booths. I mean, I walked by and they went, "Wait, Joe McNally's going to be here." Normally, you see him at the Nikon booth and it's still close. But I was literally two feet away from him, and you know, there weren't a lot of people. So I'm like, "Wait, I get to ask questions." To Direct, him? Directly. Yeah. And about setups and, you know, and, and he just got back from shooting. I mean, just not just got back, but he shot the Olympics. But his assignment wasn't so much shooting the sports. It was shooting the, I guess you could say the color commentary, kind of the the background, uh, shooting around Rio, shooting the people. And it's not the safest place to be. So even him going in, explaining how he had guides that knew the area, that spoke the language, but also were able to make sure he didn't wander into an area that he shouldn't have been that kind of kept him and his crew his small crew i think it was only one other person safe while they were there shooting uh so little things like that i mean adobe has something really kind of cool too and i i guess they've had it other years and i guess my trips to the show have always been kind of in and out real quickly and i actually have a little bit more room to breathe here that adobe has this great uh stage in the back corner where they pretty much go through and talk about all their products. I mean, there, there's been a number of Lightroom and Photoshop classes. Again, they run about half hour, 45 minutes. That's what I'm into this year is, is kind of that kind of stuff. And then plus you never know what you're going to run into. You know, you know, you know, you just bump into anybody that you can, know, that you, you see. They let everybody in. So you never, you never know. <laughs> um, yeah, you point out that you could actually make a whole, uh, instead of going to the seminars, which they are, there are paid yeah. seminars here, but you can actually do a lot just walking on the floor and get a, and learn a lot. Yeah, and, and you can, like I said, you just bumping into photographers you may not have, or not even photographers, but people you might not have access to regularly. It's fun. I'm really kind of surprised, uh, like I said to you before we went, you know, on mic, I usually avoided coming on the weekends because I always figured, okay, everybody's off on the weekend and it's going to be packed. Even And it's not. For a Saturday, it, it's the last day of the show, maybe because it's the weather we were talking, again, off mic talking about that. But even being able to approach the vendors 
and being able to ask them questions. A lot of times I always feel like, you know, there's a line of people behind you, so ask your question and move on. Being able to have those discussions with some of the vendors, there's some just really neat products. Oh, that's the thing. Hang on, let me grab. Wait, that's <laughs> as, he's, as he's reaching oh, into his bag. Yeah, I wanted to see if I had the card available. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's these modular buttons and slides. They're here. Now, I've always been interested in that because I'm like, I could see myself using it for a number of different apps. Right now, their, their focus is Adobe apps, and I think they said there's a couple of audio apps they're starting to work with, because again, when you look at, if you've done any kind of audio work, you're dealing with knobs and slides. Right. And so let me describe it. It's a bunch of little modules mm -hmm. that uh, have different kinds of controls on them, and they somehow attach, I haven't gone to the booth exactly, but they attach to each other, yes. and they will, do shortcuts um, on software. So whether, uh, you're saying right now that's all Adobe stuff, so I'm assuming some of it's audio, uh, some of it's Photoshop, some of it's right. video as well. Right, and and the way it works is that you, they, uh, and this is what I always wondered, so being able to actually spend about 15 minutes with one of the guys, it's a Canadian company, with one of the guys from the company, and, and ask them, they actually have software that they go in and program the buttons, and each button has its own ID. So the way it works is that it all sticks together with magnets, so you can change it. It's almost like Legos for adults that are into, you know, Photoshop and, and, and Lightroom. And he was even showing me that, like, you know, one specific button was programmed for a specific function in Lightroom. He pulled it off, stuck it on another place in this, you know, because, again, it connects magnetically, and it remembered what it was assigned. And, again, that's through the software. So, again, each, each item must have its own individual ID that it remembers that. Now the way you would use that, like you could actually have, and it's not the, the cheapest thing out there either. So that's why right, that was one of the things I when I when I saw this come out a long time ago, I was like, that stuff was really expensive. And it still is. I mean, for your very basic set, it, your introductory set, it's two hundred dollars. The other thing I was able to find out is that you can actually buy it once you get the main set. You could buy it module by module. Uh, the software, just to add, is also a free download. And it's kind of funny because actually if they had those at the show, I probably would have bought a set. Now I get to think about it going, well, after I get home and they are offering free shipping and stuff, that was something. So little things like that with the show being maybe a little bit smaller and the crowds being a little bit lighter, being able to actually talk to people, whether it's, it's hardware or software, kind of getting into it a little bit more. Um, where, like I said, in, in past years, between my limited time and how crowded it's been, not being able to feel like... Again, and that's just, that's me. You know, if I'm there talking to somebody, I know somebody's probably standing behind me going, geez, will this guy ever <laughs> shut up? Like this, no. But again, being able to get that kind of information and going, you know what, that's pretty cool. That Knowing that they're working on expanding that into other programs, that, that's great. To me, that's something I can, a multi-use item. So little thing, like I said, you never know what you're gonna discover at these kind of shows. And like I said, I'm from the amount of time we've known each other and just, you know I'm a gadget person, mm -hmm. so finding that kind of stuff is, is just great. So I've been coming here since uh, college. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to date myself. At least 1982 or 1983. Okay. I used to come back with bags and bags of brochures, right? Yep. Tons of brochures. I, I collect nothing now. But I keep coming back here every year, and then my, my career has changed over time, but this has been the steady place to come back to. Right. And I, one of the things I find out about, I like about coming here even if I've got nothing really to buy, is that I get I get sort of a, a recharge in my photography somehow. I don't know what it is. I mean, the gear, all the people that are into photography, we're all talking the same thing. And so, I mean, do you get that as well? I do. And and again, before we went on mic, um, we were talking, like I had even, I wouldn't say, say took a step back from photography. I really didn't go into this year having goals or like projects I want to hit to the point that usually at least once or twice a year, I'll even exhibit my stuff, whether it's my uh, um, local restaurants or a coffee shop, and there's a couple of um, art guilds that I belong to that will do it. I kind of took a step back from that, but it's funny because I already have stuff started scheduled for next year. <laughs> but yeah, it's that recharging. It's kind of being among your people, mm -hmm. I guess you can say. It, well, and, and then, you know, again, you had mentioned before that this is kind of part of my vacation where I actually took a couple of days after the show to be here in New York. And, and just kind of, you know, one thing that, it's not a side of photography that I think you make money on, but I absolutely love street photography. Between, you know, doing architectural stuff, and, and even street photography, there, you say that and it conjures 
conjures up different ideas. I'm not big on doing street portraiture. There's a niche, that's definitely a niche. I want people being people. I want, you know, an interesting background. I want the person, if they're working, let them work. I don't want to enter their world. I'll go talk to them afterwards. I will definitely, you know, say, you know, and also if they kind of catch me taking their picture, I'll go over and say hi and explain that I'm not posting it. I'm, you know, amateur photographer. You know, I just, again, like what I said, like capturing, capturing people doing what they do. But yeah, it's definitely a recharge. And it's funny. It's one of those things that I kind of went back and forth with about coming this year. And one of the reasons why I did come was that. And again, that even for me even ties into sitting in the seminars. Is is it, it does it kind of reignites that that spark and kind of pushes me to get out there. Right. And so we got all, another whole year to decide like how are you going to save money to buy some of the stuff that you want. Well, that's exactly it. And then and then who knows? You see, I think one thing with these kind of trade shows, and even going back to how long I haven't been coming that long. I think seven or eight, probably right after I got back into photography seriously. So maybe about eight years ago. It's, uh, well, I already said it. it it's, it's, it's kind of being among your people. It's seeing what's out there. Oh, I know the point that I wanted to make. Okay, the internet was around eight years ago. I, I totally get that. A lot, but you would still see new product here first. With the trade shows, a, a lot of the stuff I've seen, I've seen before. Like we were going back, again, I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of that product. But when you're done, I'll dig out the card just so you have the name. But I had questions. I could have always emailed them, but it did help seeing them face to face. But I knew about that product already. You know, I didn't discover it here. I think that's what's really changed, not only with this trade show, with most trade shows, we're discovering stuff way ahead, especially if you're following Twitter feeds of people or a topic you're interested in, even Facebook or Google Plus, any or websites. I'm we're already knowing about that stuff. So listen, it's why a lot of magazines went away too both Mac and, and photography. By the time I get that, I've already known about the products they've, they're reviewing or that, that they're introducing as new. So you think that's, I wonder if that's a, a reason why the show is shrinking a little bit. Could be. Uh, Especially for the smaller vendors because it's really expensive to show here. It, it is. I think it's all a return on investment. Now there is stuff that I've seen here from smaller vendors that might have, might have had an ad in the back of a, a small ad in the back of a photography magazine. I'm discovering them here, but it's still, I would say, overall, you, we're finding that stuff on, you know, we're finding out or discovering that kind of stuff on, you know, podcasts, on, you know, shows like yours, on, um, even though you're, you're more into the context of shooting other than gear, which is great. Yeah, we still geek out about gear once in a while. Yeah, oh, yeah, we, oh, I know. Well, you have to. I mean, it's about gear. It's about, you know, I mean, especially in the digital realm, we're going from a computer shooting the photos to a computer editing the photos. What I what I was hoping for coming here was that there would be a lot more of the people who were inventing small little gadgets that we wouldn't really hear about, and maybe they would make the bigger impact because, right. yeah, of course, Nikon and Fuji and Canon will be here and showing off all their cameras, and all right, that's great, but... I mean, a little company that's starting up something new, like this one with the little dials, although yeah. you did say we knew about that ahead of time. Yeah, a couple of years ago. Yeah. yeah. But like something like that that you wouldn't discover, you know, you would find sometimes people hovering around a booth, like, right. what is this new thing that we've never heard about? And it might be well worth for those companies to, to come in. Or like the one, it's funny, you tell me, and I, I guess it'll be part of this show, or, but these guys, the, the grip and shoot guys. Right, I mean, the grip and shoot guys, yes. Cool, that was kind of a cool thing that I had not heard about where it is a, and you'll go into it, I'm sure, but basically it's just a handheld Bluetooth enabled device that your iPhone sits in and you could zoom, you, it has a trigger, like a gun trigger on the back that allows you to snap the shot or start video. I, I agree with you. I wish there was more stuff like that here. Yeah, it, it does seem, like I said, overall smaller, you've got the big hitters here, but I, don't, I haven't even finished walking around the, store, the whole entire uh, show yet. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I, like I said, I, and we had discussed this, too. I don't think it's going anywhere due to the fact that it is such a wide range. So many different things tie into photography where you're going to still have software people and hardware people along the sides of, like, you know, Nikon and Canon here. So uh, to, to sum this all yeah. up, <laughs> to sum it up, would you recommend people who are not I, professionals to, and, or serious amateurs, but if you're into photography, to attend a show like this if they're able to? 
Definitely, definitely. And even get the free pass. Come and, and it's always there's apps available for the show, regardless of what you know, uh, portable system, you know, whether it's uh, Android or iOS, and sit in the free seminars. It, it's so worth it, even if you don't know who the photographer is. Um, say, if you're a Nikon shooter, sit in on the Canon because again, it's not about the hardware, they're really not focusing on set. You know, nobody's here going, Nikon's better than this, or Canon's better. They're, you know, sit in about somebody who does landscaping if you're into landscaping. Sit in on portraiture if you're that's what you're into. It's definitely worth the trip in. Um, we were talking too. I mean, now there seems like there's a couple of other photography type expos popping up where if you can't make it to this one, there's probably one fairly local or regional to where you are. Check it out. And, and it really is for all different levels. Don't feel thrown off that it's only going to be pros or it's only going to be, you know, uh, a power user or a, uh, you know, a uh, semi-pro photographer. It, it really is. I mean, even the photo walk that I did, it was people shooting with outrageous pieces of equipment to small pointed shoots. It, it's about that kind of intermingling, which just makes these kind of shows just great. So if you can make it to a show like this, do it. if it's possible, do it. Do it. Definitely do it. Well, Steve, thanks for thanks for adding some content to my, to my <laughs> podcast. I was like walking around here, like, who am I going to talk to? But I'm, I'm glad to bump into you, and I'm glad uh, you could share some of your experience with us. No, awesome. Thank you for having me on, and uh, it was great running into you. It was funny because we, you know, it, it seems this is where we usually run into each other right. at this show. <laughs> we have to change that. We have to change that. Yeah. You know, we live so close to each other, um, but now we're getting into the winter months and we're all going to sort of hibernate but maybe yeah. maybe we can change that a little yeah trying not to do that this year it seems <laughs> like i do that all the time and uh who knows i'm hoping for a mild winter yeah you go out well, one last thing you go out and shoot in the winter in um in jersey i do i do um it, it, again i do live along the shore so a lot of the photography is that but I, you know what it is it, it's cool it's great and it's a bad thing that we live in an area that has all four seasons because it does give you a chance to shoot in that and what people don't realize, if you don't shoot in all those different seasons, the light is very different in winter than it is in summer. Forget about, you know, sunrise and sunset kind of stuff. It's, there's a certain quality to it where there's, def, there's without going and kind of making this go further, but in, in the spring and summer, you've got particulate in the air where the, the, the lighting is very different than it is where it's that very kind of crisp kind of lighting you get towards the end of fall and definitely through the entire winter. So being into that and also having an area that you always shoot in those four seasons just to see how different it looks, it just helps, just is, is huge. All right, so now I just realized, can you plug where you're at, where we can find oh. pictures for, of you? Because I, well, I want to show people your work. Okay, uh, stevestanger.com. And uh, also using this, again, we talked about this off mic, kind of using this experience, both the show and staying in New York for a couple of days extra, uh, just to kind of kickstart my blog. That's also on stevestanger.com. But right now, it's mainly my portfolio and a place where you can actually order my prints or hire me kind of thing. But again, not my main my main thing, but um, I do promotional uh, shooting, and uh, which kind of encompasses a lot. It's stuff for, you know, CD covers, uh, portraiture, um, and even some product photography too, which is kind of uh, a wild thing that I got into just because somebody said, I need a photographer. I had a friend that's a printer and went, I know somebody and basically got into it that way. Word of mouth helps a lot. Huge. Word of mouth is huge. So we can now grind you and push you to get the blog started? Yeah, definitely. Now that I, you know what happened, I said it. It's recorded. It's going to be out there, so I have to do it. All right. We'll hold you to that. So, Steve, thanks for thanks for talking to us. Switch your manual, guys. Uh, and uh, we'll see you, uh, see you on the blog. See you soon. Thanks, Antonio. All right. Thanks. Well, I hope you enjoyed those two uh, interviews with the vendors on the photo expo floor and my talk with uh, Steve Stanger, my friend. You guys won't have to wait too long for volume two of Photo Expo. I'm going to get that out as fast as I can so that you guys aren't waiting too long for that. Um, and, you know, in the meantime, uh, you can probably find us <laughs> on our website, which is switchtomanual.com. You can also look for us on Twitter, which is we're at switch the number two manual. So switch to manual. And while you're at it, you can follow me 
at A.M. Rosario, and you can follow Tom at Witness Photog, P-H-O-T-O-G. We're also on Facebook, so look for us there. Join us. We have good discussions on Facebook. And you know what? Uh, I have a Flipboard magazine. For those of you who, have, who know Flipboard, you can go to uh, flipboard.com slash at AM Rosario. And I've got a switch to manual magazine there. It's a great app that we use on the iPad and the iPhone. And we do, uh, you know, curate some good articles about switching to manual. Um, I also have a Fuji magazine there and a few other magazines you can check out there. So you can subscribe to them there and, and get some good curated articles. If you guys listen to us on iTunes, we would really appreciate if you guys give us a rating uh, and a review. That might help us get uh, more subscribers in the future. We would love that. And, you know, one of the ways you can help us support the site is we offer portfolio reviews on our site. So we have three tiers. Uh, we have a free 99 version, too. So if you want to just test us out and you can just go to switchtomanual.com slash portfolios and you can see what we're going to do. We would like to take your pictures, uh, grouping your pictures, and we can give you some feedback about those. So that's a great way to support the site. Then we're working for you guys, and, and whatever you guys um, do for us go, goes back into supporting the site. Also, if you're able to, we have a PayPal button. If you want to throw us some chump change, as Tom would say, uh, help us keep the site going and the podcast going. We're, we're doing all this on our own dime, but um, we, we want to keep it going as much as we can. And if uh, any of you guys can help out, that'd be great. We've had a, a supporter donate us, donate to us since the last episode. Uh, Stuart from the UK, we really, really appreciate uh, your generous help. So that helps keeping the show go. Uh, we also started a YouTube channel with TipCast, but you can go subscribe to it. So you can get to that from our website. We don't, we don't quite have a YouTube URL yet. We haven't. We don't have enough videos or subscribers yet. But you can get to our TipCast where we do little videos, uh, tips about photography, short little videos. And what else? You know, just support us if you can. We love you guys tuning in. We want to hear back from you guys. Oh, the other thing we want to do is uh, we're going to have a print selling page on our website. So it's another way you can be able to support us. We haven't done that yet, but you can buy prints from me and Tom. Uh, and that will be another great way to support our website. So look for that coming up soon. And again, like I said, the next episode will be as fast as I can get can. Uh, so follow up with uh, two more interviews and another friend talk uh, from the Photo Expo. So you know what? Thanks for hanging in with us. And uh, see you later. And as Tom would say, adios. Adios.